Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause them bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to him, Good afternoon, everybody. This is The Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, and I have a special guest for you all today, Sixers Outsiders' very own Crystal Rich. Crystal, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. I watch you all the time after the games are over. I love uh, I, I lo- I love listening to the tweets because some of them are just uh, uh, from this reactionary fan base we have. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's fun seeing you guys react to, to all this, all that stuff. On top of that, uh, hearing the insights, because a lot of what you guys say are thoughts that I have, too. So when I'm watching games, I'm always thinking, I wonder what Tyrone and Crystal think of that. You know what, Austin, thank you so much. And it's fun being in my home market of Philly, because in Philly, it might be one of the only markets where we think that every single game in the long season matters. We cannot have one bad game or there is a reactionary uproar in the city. I love it because that means our fans are so passionate, uh, but it also makes our job that much more fun. Absolutely. I I, I tend to think that there's a line in that um, to, to an extent, though, because some because you know there's a national there's a national perception of our fan base as as uh, you know whatever it may be whether that we're harsh or whatever I call it accountability mm. because because a lot of cities they don't care about what they're uh, or if they care it's very little so they don't want to, they they don't have anything to say about it if 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 their uh their number one overall pick and and rookie of the year only has uh one point in a playoff game or can't shoot a jump shot mm-hmm. a lot of fan bases wouldn't really care they just they just say oh he's young or whatever for us it's no you want to earn max money you want to play with the big boys this is what you got to do to do it. You haven't done it yet. And that's what comes with being a blue collar city. Everything, our mood, the the mood of the city is dependent on how our sports teams do. And that's, that's the difference between this city and other cities is that if another city loses, their fans can say, Oh, that sucks and go on about their day. We can't do that. And um, it's it's just not in our DNA. And that's what makes the city so great is that the fans really do care, even if we are reactionary. Yeah. I mean, if if it's a bad loss, I'm usually, 
I'm usually very grumpy until the next game happens. And if it's like, like I'll go to class the next morning and I'll walk in, the professor will see me. He'll go, tough game last night. And I'll grunt. And he'll be like, oh, he's not in a good mood today. So you know. Huh? So you know. It, it's, it's just in the DNA of the Philadelphia market. It is what it is. And honestly, even though we can overreact sometimes, which is what Tyrone and I on Sixers Outsiders have to try to tame at times, it does make the city so great. It really does. And I think it I think it makes us smart because we know what we're seeing and we're not going to, you know, if, if you if you feed us, uh, you know, scripted lines in a post game presser or if, or if we're seeing things on, on in the game that make it blatantly obvious that what you're doing is not right. We don't just we don't just brush it off or act like we don't see it. We tell it how it is. Whether and now sometimes that can be overreactionary. Like today, I, I this week I've heard for a thousand times how the process is a failure because Joel Embiid might have arthritis in his knee. And it, and you're sitting there and you're listening and you're like, what are you what are you thinking about when you when you when you when you form these assumptions about about things? And that that's where it can get a little bit like testy at times where you're like, or like, man, these people drive me nuts. Um, but let's let's move on from the fans because that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about this team headed into this game tomorrow. Now, the first question actually was something that uh, I, that was prompted by an article that came out last night in the New York Daily News from uh, esteemed NBA writer Chris Sheridan. I don't know if you saw the article. I'm assuming you have. I'm, I'm sure with this day, of, this day of social media, you've been texted it, you've been tweeted about it, uh, what have you. But for those of you who, who don't know, uh, the gist of the article is that Brad Brown has lost the locker room. Uh, Elton Brand wanted to trade Ben Simmons at the deadline. Uh, potentially in a deal involving Anthony Davis because he was quote uncoachable and an annual uh, annually exposed in the playoffs, and then it, it broke the, it, it broke supposed news that Ben had missed a game in Orlando that they lost by twenty one because he had been hungover after partying in in, Flor- in Miami with Kendall Jenner uh, the previous night. The one true element of the article seems to be that Bruce of uh, the Bruce Bowen incident when Brett Brown had him in the locker room. And it was a weird speech and things got a little testy there. But um, what do you think of the article? What do you make of it? You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of writers, there's a lot of people in the media, especially national media. They seem to get one thing and run with it. And I want to take you back to when Jimmy Butler uh, was first... Uh, brought here in November and a story recently came out that he was being very disrespectful to Brett Brown and that he's not a team player and so on and so forth. Uh, You know, I'm at every pregame presser when there's a home game with Brett Brown. Of course, he was asked about that and he just said it was not disrespectful, which we, we honestly don't know. We were not there. But he said Jimmy just wanted more pick and rolls because with Tom Thibodeau back on the Timberwolves, all he got were ISOs and pick and rolls. He had about 40 per game. So that was something that was taken and it was blown up. Jimmy, people have talked about him and said he defers too much. All he does is pass the ball. We want to see him go off. So it kind of shows you that he's not as unselfish as people made him out or not as selfish as people made him out to be. So I just want to say that about more national media who are not in the Philadelphia market. Now, when it comes to Brett Brown losing the locker room, I don't buy that at all. Brett Brown, he's a coach who does not even talk to his team after losses to yell at them, to scream at them because he doesn't find it productive. And at first when I heard that, it took me back to when I was younger and played uh, bad basketball games and the coach would come and yell and scream at us. I'm like, that seems standard. But then I 
thought back, like, no, that that really was not productive. I don't think he's lost the locker room not one bit. Now, if there's any truth to wanting to trade Ben Simmons, I know that has been something that uh, some people, when we have bad losses or last year in the Celtics series, when Ben Simmons had that one-point game, it's been thrown out there. Um yeah. I, I don't I do not think that he is this uncoachable player though. I have to tell you that. Um I just last game when we played the Nets in game two, I saw him do something that Monty Williams talk uh helps him and coaches him through all the time. You know, I'm down there when the Sixers warm up, when they're practicing, right. and I keep an eye out for new things that Ben Simmons and other players might do. And just one very, very small change. That's what we're out there to do, journalists, be the eyes and ears. One little small change right. that I would see Monty working on with him is creating space when he takes his turnaround little jump hook shot. And sometimes yeah. he'll just take it, but what Monty would tell him to do is create space by kind of bumping into the guy and then turn turning yeah. around and shooting your shot. So I saw him do that against the Brooklyn Nets off a board that he grabbed when Embiid missed a shot. So that told me right there that this is a coachable player. As to why he does not shoot jump shots, we don't really know where that disconnect came from because you go back and you look in his history and you see that when he was younger, he would actually take shots. So this is something that's mental. But what what the Elton brand has done is he surrounded him with shooters. We already had JJ Redick. We got Jimmy Butler. We got Tobias Harris. So all the pressure is not on Ben to shoot. So this story that Brett Brown has lost the locker room, the timing that that came out after an historic win where we had 145 points, the most playoff points ever in a game. To me, this t the timing of that is just a little bit suspect. And I, I just, oh, yeah. it's hard to take that story from um, a source outside of Philadelphia and just 100% believe it. Absolutely. And, you know, as someone, you know, I, you, you don't you don't know me that that much that 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 well yet because I I don't I, all you know is me is through my my crazy tweets <laughs> but um but you know I I, I write uh, for a couple of websites and so you know I, I know that it while I'm a rookie to the game it's still it's so hard to build a reputation of 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 consistency and of 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 credibility in this industry and so what that kind of does is. And I don't, you know, I, I know this guy has a, has a a long career, but he also has a history of of having stories that have no credibility or validity, and then the things that he say don't actually happen. So what it does is it puts a bad, it's a bad look for the rest of the writers. And if I'm if I, if I feel that way as a small time writer, I can't imagine how it feels for guys like uh, Woj or Shams or anybody else. And so that you know, so that that kind of it 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 concerns me, and I think. I, oh, someone texted me the, uh, the the idea that hey he's a New York writer and and it's about and they're about to play the Nets tomorrow maybe it's to get them going. I don't think you need the I don't think you need to do that to get the Nets going. I, I think it's I think it's just a bogus story, and it's it's a little bit weird. And, and there's a lot of proof out there that I think indicates that a lot of it's not not factual. You, if you want to say Brett Brown lost the locker room after. He bit into them at halftime, and they went up and put fifty-one points up in the in the third quarter. That's a record. That 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 wouldn't that wouldn't happen yeah. if, if if they didn't really listen to yeah, him. Yeah, you you know I like to give writers a lot of credit 
But you also have to just keep your eyes open. And it just takes me back to the Carson Wentz story that came out in Philadelphia when he said he was unselfish. And, we're, and you know, the sources were unnamed. And we're like, who are your sources? They said one veteran player. But these could have been third stringer guys that that don't matter that much. It's not like a, a an opinion that owns the majority of the locker room. So like you said, this is a New York writer who probably is does not spend a lot of time around Brett Brown at all, who was probably outside of the playoffs, hardly in the locker room with our players to even get a sense of did he lose the locker room or not. And the timing of it is just so um, suspicious, really, after that huge uh, game to win. And like you said, we had 50... 50- one points in the third quarter after only leading by one at halftime when we allowed the Nets to come back a little bit. And not only just offensively did things pick up, defensively things picked up tremendously because D'Angelo Russell only had 16 points at the half. He ended the game with 16 points. He only took two shots in the third quarter and missed them both. And that's to credit Ben Simmons, someone that everyone you know, apparently in the article wants to trade away. Um, But he did a really good job defensively on D'Angelo Russell in this game too. So you just have to look at the timing. This is a New York, a New York guy. It's not a Philly guy. If this came from a Philadelphia writer who was around the team consistently at the practices, in the locker room, at the pregame pressers, on the sidelines, then I would look at it. I would, yeah, I would look at it with um, an eye that, would be more inclined to believe still maybe a little skeptical, but maybe this person, since he's around the team so much, but maybe there's some truth, maybe there's some validity to it. This particular article, I, I just, honestly, I just brush off. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about this before we, before we move on to the, to the, to the, to the team and the games, um, it, it was really telling to me because I was scrolling through the replies to it that Dave Schuller, the, the the vice president of of uh, communications for the Sixers, came out and basically trounced the report and ripped it and said that it was it was completely irresponsible and called it a garbage article. And if and if and if a guy who's a spokesman for the team says that, that just shuts it down right there. I th- I think at least. Um, but the Sixers play. They won Game Two, and Game one, I was there. I was sitting five rows back of the court, and and you know it was an unbelievable energy once they officially announced that Joel Embiid would play. Even though I think we all kind of thought that he would play because it's game one of the playoffs at home, and you want to set up, you want to set a tone for the series. But even with him coming back, it it was really a disappointing performance on on all on most fronts, except for Jimmy Butler and maybe and Embiid at some parts. It really all around was was a, a really uh, disturbing performance, and then in game two, first half was was they played better, but they were still only up one when they should have been up by more, and then they completely blew them out in the in, a, in the second half. What did you see in the changes that they made from game one to game two? Yeah, um, you know, I we talked about the reactionary fan base, and one of the number one reactions to every loss is fire Brett Brown. That is the number one thing. I can't say that it's right. I can't say that it's wrong. His judgment day is right now here in the playoffs. But from game one to game two, he, on his end, made several adjustments. And going into uh, the last maybe third of the season after the All-Star game, I said the couple of things that I want to keep an eye on in the last 20-plus games is turnovers, perimeter defense, and Brett Brown's adjustments. Now, from game one to game two, he made several. 
one of my favorite adjustments was when Jimmy Butler is at the one. That means Ben Simmons is getting some rest on the sideline. I would complain that TJ McConnell is in the game playing off ball. Well, why is TJ McConnell in the game at all if he's not on ball? I would prefer Jimmy Butler to be at the one because he's a better facilitator and he has more opportunities for ISOs, pick and rolls, and to make something happen. But if TJ McConnell is, is playing off ball, he really does not have a role in the game and that could hurt them. That We saw that in game one. Game two, Brett Brown made the adjustment. Of course, we had James Ennis come back from his quad injury, but that was a great adjustment. The only time that we saw TJ uh, have time was in the 10 minutes of garbage time in the fourth quarter. Another adjustment that I believe was Brett Brown is Embiid shot no threes. In the game yep. one, he was 0-5. Now, head coach of the Nets, Kenny Atkinson, said that the team would continue to give Joel Embiid space. He knows that Embiid could potentially go 4-5 or five from deep, or he could possibly do what he did in game one and go 0-5. Even when they did give him space, he still... Uh, I believe this was a Brett Brown adjustment where he still did not have him shoot these threes. We saw him live a little bit more in the paint. Another adjustment that he made was getting other guys active early on in the game. J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris had horrendous games in game one. If one of those guys played better, we would have won that game. Tobias Harris had four points in 40 minutes. TJ, not TJ, JJ Redick had five points in 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 the entirety of the game and also fouled out. He had six fouls in that game. So Brett Brown, he was hard on himself. He said, I can do, which I, this is something that I respect. He said, I can do a better job of getting these guys more involved. In the first quarter, Joel Embiid, beside getting to the line twice, did not even shoot the ball. ball, Not once. We saw Tobias Harris, who again, he didn't shoot well in the first quarter. He He shot way better in the third quarter. But we saw the adjustment to get him the ball more. We saw the adjustment to get Ben aggressive and going early on. We saw the adjustment to have more J.J. Redick in the first quarter. That was a Brett Brown adjustment. That didn't just happen. He, before the game, said he he needs to do a better job of putting uh, guys in better situations to get them involved early on, and that's exactly what he did. Now, this is coming from a coach who he said himself he likes when basketball is fluid and less play calls. Then Jimmy Butler came here in November kind of disturbing that notion, really wanting his isos and pick and rolls and wanting plays to be drawn up. So I do give Brett Brown credit on those adjustments that he made uh, for game one to game two. And you could see even just the in-game adjustments coming out of the half when they had a good first quarter, second quarter, not so good. They, they lost, they didn't lose the lead, but they only were up by one and then to come out with a 51 to 23 quarter uh, game and only uh, yep. limit D'Angelo Russell to two shots, which he missed, missed both. That was an adjustment on Brett Brown's end too. Absolutely. And it's funny because all of those things you just said, I tweeted it out after I tweeted it out during or after the, after the game in game two. And because I'm not verified like you are, people are saying, you know, what are you talking about? He's a terrible coach. And, I, and I'm sitting there and thinking, what are you watching? Do you have the intention of firing Brett before the assumptions, before you even let the guy have a chance? Or, are you, or do you see something that I'm not seeing out there? Because it's, you know, 
those are the exact things that I pointed out. Very, very early in the game, uh, uh, Ben got a touch on the block where he used the exact same post that you're talking about where he, he hits you with the right shoulder then comes back over the left side with, with, with the righty hook. And he, and he finished that a couple times in, in the game. And, you know, it, it was – I thought there were a ton of adjustments that Brett made that I was really happy with in that game too. Um, now, we do seem to have a bit of an issue with Joel and, and, and whatever is plaguing his knee. Do you think there's something bigger out there than just tendonitis or – do you believe that the idea that maybe he has arthritis because of an article written by a, a doctor in the San Diego uh, tri- Tribune or whatever it was? You know, those those questions are so hard to answer because none of uh, us are medical uh, in the field of medicine. So it's really hard to, to answer that 100%. What I do believe yeah. is that, you know, I think it was the tendonitis and I think the All-Star weekend did not help. And I talked to a journalist who has tendonitis himself, and he said, you know, if you drink at all, which, you know, a lot of people do during All-Star Weekend, that can really help flare it up, uh, opposed to the rest that he got. So I do believe that it's tendonitis. I I don't think that it's arthritis, but I'm actually, you know, not really qualified to give my expertise on that. Um, But one thing that I do think is that since he only played 14 of 24 coming into the postseason is that we knew that there was going to be a little bit of fatigue there. We knew that the conditioning might not be at 100%. And I think in the Bucks game that we lost before the end of the regular season in the fourth quarter, we saw maybe a little bit of that fatigue. So I, I don't, I can't say that I think it's a huge, huge, huge deal. But I do have a theory that for the rest of the playoffs, he's going to be listed as questionable and he's up to the press conference and he's going to be a game time decision for however far we make it in the playoffs. I really do think that's going to be a thing. And I'm not sure if that's just the gamemanship of trying to get in the opponent's head and try to have them prepare for with Embiid or without Embiid. I do think that he is feeling that soreness in his knee. But at the same time, I don't I don't think that there's going to be any scenario where he doesn't play. I, I think, right, I I think there's you. going to be maybe he'll have the 20 to 25 minute restrictions on him at minimum. But I don't I don't see at all him not playing playing because think about it I mean he's a he's a young guy he's a, a physically I say the number one center in the entire league physically gifted easy he himself needs to learn how to come up big when it's not always comfortable and that just takes me back yep. to the Kobe era and you know that was one of my favorite players growing up when I played I wore number eight for Kobe in his first 10 years of his career and I just remember he had some problems with his hand and his wrist and he played through it so I don't see yeah. any scenario where um, I don't see any scenario at all where Embiid does not play. I don't think it's arthritis, although I don't know. I do think he's feeling that soreness. At at minimum, I see the minutes restriction. But something that I, I really liked Austin in game two was that in the first quarter, we didn't depend on Joel Embiid. Like I told you, he did not shoot at all aside from getting right. to the line. He did not take, he did not even attempt one shot. And that's because Brett Brown did a really good job of getting other players involved early. Right. Um, you know, it, you made a good point because it is a tough question to have to answer because you're not a medical professional. Um, my, my my dad's a doctor and he's been a doctor for for 30 years. And so I was, I was talking to him about it. And it's funny that you drew the bridge with Kobe because Kobe's mom 
was actually my dad's secretary wow. when he was growing up. Look at that. And so, yeah, I know. And they would share a car when he was in high school. So my, when my dad was young and he was just starting out in his practice, here comes Kobe Bryant walking down the hall every day, uh, picking his mom up from work, and he would bring in the, the letters from Coach K, and uh, and they would go to high school games. And my dad would just t- just tell me, oh, he was an animal. He was an absolute animal in high school. Just smelled blood every game and was going after it every time. So it's pretty cool, uh, pre- pretty cool sort of little connection there. But my dad said about the knee that the, the brace is not just for arthritis, it, 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 it's to stabilize the knee, and that can imply a lot of different conditions. So I don't know that I buy arthritis too, but I, uh, but you know, I'm in the same boat as you in terms of where where I stand with that. But it does make it does it does have to concern you because if it's short term, you can manage it, and he can still play out his career. If it's severe, there's a potential we're looking at a player who may might might be already declining because of his healthy knee or not. Um, now. I didn't. We, we like talk about Ben Simmons' jump shot and and it, and how that affects their ability to run pick and rolls with him. But there's also another liability that I see. That's JJ Redick on defense. What is a bigger issue? Do you think for this team, Ben on offense or JJ on defense? Oh, that's a good question. I think with JJ Redick, you know what you're going to get from him. You know he is your shooter. You know he's going to sink in that shot from behind the arc, and you know the defensive liability that comes with that. J.J. gets swallowed up in pick and rolls. We know that's going to happen. Um, With Ben Simmons, it's a little bit different because he is, you know, painted as a generational talent, and he has the physicality to be that. Um, He just kind of needs that Mamba mentality, like, you know, we're saying that Joel Embiid needs that that Kobe had when he would just go crazy on people no matter how he was feeling. So with Ben Simmons offensively, um, man, this is so hard because I don't think that he is there right now where he um, where he can be a 100 percent offensive beast, even in the off season before this upcoming season, he said that he was working on his presence in the post. And when he feels comfortable there, then he will expand his game. And that's where we know that Ben Simmons is extremely comfortable in the paint, getting in transition and getting a layup, getting a dunk. We know that's where he feels very comfortable. He almost is like a point forward position. That's why a lot of people, you know, talk about possibly moving him to a four, even though he's been a one all of his life. And even though he's a great passer, the inability to shoot is something that um, it's not, it's honestly not ideal. And what you don't want to happen is for you get into round two of the playoffs or even round one, and you have a team that is extremely fast in transition because that is a great way to shut him down when you have the game just in the half court. And when you have someone create a wall for him, just like the Celtics did in his one point game, they would continuously, you know, build that wall and then he would pass it away or he would not take the shot. He would not take the jumper. He just would not take it. So if you're asking who is uh, the bigger liability, I would I would have to uh, go if I had to answer this, I would have to say Ben Simmons, if if the defense does what it's supposed to do and builds that wall and is fast in transition because those are two ways to limit him. Nonetheless, even in game two, 
he would drive even when it was even when the paint was clogged he would still drive in and he would still get to the hole and he would still put that ball up there so that was almost to me a little mental adjustment jj reddick you already know defensively he's not a stud we already know that but when he is on shooting when he's making those uh those deep balls when he is stepping up and making a long mid-range jumper we we know that we're more forgiving to his defensive liabilities. With Ben Simmons, though, he can he has the potential, and I do think that he's going to get there. Right now, it's a bigger problem if the defense takes full advantage of him not shooting. And that's an if because some teams, you know, like the Celtics did, they created that wall. They were really fast in transition, as the Celtics always typically are. Um, so if they continue to do those things and if Ben Simmons cowers to her and still does not attack the paint, even when it's clogged, then he becomes more of the problem because he's our, he's our point guard. He has, to, he has to shoot the ball. He has to, you know, attempt when he, he, when he doesn't do that, like he did in game one, you see the whole momentum of the team is just not there. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, what is one big adjustment, both strategically and rotationally, that you would still like to see uh, Brett Brown make? Um, one thing that I, I said last show is that Boban had a really good game. He had yeah. 16 points and I believe 18 minutes. And that's coming off just the same day when Brett Brown told me when I asked about him. He said, you never, you never really know because you know that he might be able to do some things but defensively also he can also be a liability he's north of seven feet he can get blown by on defense if they try to draw him out to the perimeter draw him out to the wing it's really easy to drive on him if he doesn't have if no one comes up to help so we know we know his limitations however I believe one adjustment that I would love to see is if we stick with Boban, I would make him a two-quarter player. Even in game one, he had not a bad first quarter, but then it trailed off pretty drastically. And maybe that's to conditioning because he's so big. Who knows? But for the first two quarters, I think Boban is a, a good is a good player. He, he we can if he's going to grab boards, which earlier in the season that was my problem with him. I mean, what's it matter if you're seven feet tall if you can't grab and secure a board, if you can't grab and secure a rebound? He's doing a little bit better of that. When he gets the ball, if there's no one to pass it to, he will shoot it. And if he's coming up with 16 points offensively, it kind of becomes a JJ situation where I'm a little bit more forgiving on the defensive end, but I do believe that he should be in the game, especially in the playoffs, for two quarters. After those two quarters, either I believe he should go small, have Mike Scott at the five. I would not put Jonah Bolden at the five. I think he's much more comfortable at the four position if he he gets like a couple of minutes throughout the game. But I would go small with Mike Scott, who can guard multiple positions. I've said time and time again, he's your 3 and D guy. I think as the game pace picks up in the fourth quarter and we're becoming more desperate and things um, are moving really quickly, I think Mike Scott is the guy to give you a better chance 
defensively when it matters, second half defense defense is a big deal. A second half is when we're usually shouting out, can you guys get a stop? Please get a stop right here. Boban's not going to be that guy to get you a stop. The first quarter, I'll take what he gives us offensively, even if defensively there's a little bit of a liability. But second quarter, when it's coming down to the wire, I would go small with Mike Scott for specifically the defense. Right. Um, Now we head back to Brooklyn tomorrow for Game 3 and Game 4. How important is Game 3 with this series tied up 1-1 right now? I think it's... I think it's very important because we we didn't want to see this series go to six at all. Um, we still have yeah. the chance to win in five games. But Brooklyn made a huge statement in game one winning on our turf. We have home court advantage, not them. So I think it'll be really important yeah. to just make a statement back in Brooklyn saying, hey, I know we're not home, but we can win on the road in the playoffs. No matter what the crowd is cheering or booing, like Ben Simmons said, it doesn't matter. We can go out here and get the win because we're the more talented team, because we're the more talented roster. So to get that and to just hurry up and get this series over with would be ideal for them because we need every ounce, everything that we have for round two. If you know, if everything goes to plan and the Toronto Raptors win, which nine times out of 10, they absolutely will. We need everything for that round. So if we can end this as soon as possible, I would like five games. It might go to six. Who knows? But if we can make this statement on the road, letting letting Brooklyn know that we are the better team, regardless of location, regardless of game one, it will only help us for round two when the real, real challenge comes in Kawhi Leonard. I guess then you you're pretty confident they're gonna win the series i'm pretty confident they're gonna win the series do you think there's any chance they lose this no not not at all i don't i i bet my bottom dollar (laughs) no matter what that would be in my house my car they don't lose this series okay there you go um so all philadelphia can just rest now and 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 you know what we can even we can even just stop watching the games because (laughs) we can just we just assume yeah yeah. (laughs) um with that being said what is the ceiling for this team you know it's interesting because elton brand and brett brown has made it very they both have made it very clear that the goal is the eastern conference finals the goal has never been the title the goal has been the Eastern Conference Finals. Just get us to the Warriors. Yeah. I think they have the potential to reach that goal. They have the potential. Will they reach it is the question. They have the talent to reach it, but will they reach it remains the big question mark. Now, we have Rip Brown, and we see him made – we see that he made good adjustments from game one and game two. Will that continue? Because just like I say, with players needing consistency, we also need consistency of coaching. If something goes south in Game 3 in Brooklyn, will Brett Brown be able to make in-game adjustments and adjustments for the next game to get us better? I think his coaching will be a big part in the ceiling of this team and how far that we are able to go. Now, also, it also boils down to the players, too, because as much as we want to always blame Brett Brown, he cannot force Ben Simmons to do certain things. He cannot force Toby Tobias Harris's shot to go in. He did create for him early on, and in the first quarter of game two, his shot was still not there. He was one of seven in the first half of the game. So little things like that, 
having all of our talent play to their potential, if we can have that, then this team can go far. But that's still a question mark because leading into the postseason, they've only played 10 games together. And then we saw Tobias Harris slumping a little bit. So if if this team is able to play to their potential that we know that they have with the talent that they have on this team, if Rep Brown is able to make in-game adjustments like he did in game two from the second quarter to the third quarter and game adjustments like we saw from game one to game two, I believe that we can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is our goal as an as the organization. That's what they have made very vocal their goal is. But that's still really to be determined, honestly, because we right. don't know which Tobias Harris is going to show up. We, we have seen thus far in the playoffs aggressive Ben Simmons in game two and timid game Ben Simmons in game one. So if the team plays to their potential and Brett Brown does everything that he's supposed to do, I believe it might, it might be a dog fight up to game seven, but I believe we have the potential to make it past round two. There you go. Um, so sort of going off of that, how far do they have to go for Brett Brown to keep his job? I think for him to keep his job, um, See, this is another tricky question because it. I, I want to say they have to reach their goal for him to keep his job, which is the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. Um, but if he has a good round two, if he if he's good in the semis, if he makes adjustments from you know say game one to game two to game three to game four, if he makes adjustments and does good things like we saw him do from game one to game two, there is a potential that he could state his case while I've only been with these guys for 10 regular season games at a time due to injury, due to so many different things, so many different circumstances. So that's one thing that we have to remember is that if we don't make it out for game two, there's still a possibility that they could look at Brett Brown and say, I'm going to give you more time because you literally have only had 10 games with all Five healthy starters in the regular season. So I know everyone wants to fire Brett Brown if he does not make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I cannot say that that's realistic. What I can say is realistic if there is any chance that we do not make it out of round one, I do not believe Brett Brown will be here next season. Right. I completely agree with you. The last question for you today, and then uh, I will let you free. if you were to place a bet on it, which of the following three players will return next season? Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and J.J. Redick? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good one. If I were to spend my own hard-earned money, who would I pick? Ooh, well, I'm going to start with who I think we need. I think we need Jimmy Butler back. Absolutely. I really do. Um, I believe that... Tobias Harris, when we first got him, he was tremendous. Yep. He was our stretch four, and then he got into the slump, and I'm still asking who he is. He had a good third quarter in game two, but that's because he was doing other things, like going seven of seven from the line. But I'm still wondering who he is. Who yep. who is he really? Is he a max player? Who who is Tobias Harris? Is there a reason that he got traded so many times? Yeah. So if I were to say we need anyone, I would say Jimmy Butler. And I would like to see him 
when Ben Simmons is not in the game, play more point in the regular season. You know, be your regular position a swing man when Ben Simmons is in, but when he's out, I would do less TJ and more Jimmy at the point to get him more comfortable in that position. As always, you love JJ Redick and you always want him back in Philly loves JJ Redick. They are yeah. they're always going to want him back. Realistically though, he's 34 years old. You did see his worst slump of his career this season. He is able to snap out of that, and I do believe that he did. But when you – Jimmy Butler, he's not too far behind. He's 29 years old. But when it comes down to it, Jimmy Butler plays better defense, and he's a better facilitator with the ball. So if I were to bet my money on who I would want to get back, it would be Jimmy Butler. Who might be more realistic that we get back? is Tobias Harris because Tobias Harris said that two things that is going to determine if he signs is if an organization shows him loyalty and obviously he wants loyalty because he's been traded away so yeah. much. So I'm sure he wants to settle down and a winning culture. Now the expectations for this team like I've said is already to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was not the expectation with him with the Clippers. Yep. It was just to struggle and claw and make the playoffs. Yeah. So I think he has seen both of those things, and that might be a more realistic chance for him to be the one to resign. Of course, we would want both, but if I can only choose one, you can, you can, you can choose any of the three. By the way, you can choose all three, two of the three, or one of the three. I, I, I should have reworded that a little better. Okay, if I have to choose one, it's Jimmy Butler. Um, that Elton Brand said he didn't want to make an effort to get everyone back. Um, no, he said he wanted to make an effort yeah, to find. Yeah both Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler yeah. back. So obviously that's ideal because I still really want to figure out who Tobias Harris is. Is this just a little slump that he's having or what? Um, and I think realistically we can get Tobias Harris back. What I think we need is Jimmy Butler back. If we can get all three back, that would be cool. But we might have to consider J.J. Redick coming off of the bench yep. just like we did earlier in the season to develop Markel Fultz. Maybe he comes off the bench to develop some of our younger players like Zahir Smith. And um, and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, the one player who I think we need back and who should be our priority is Jimmy Butler. So – that being said, you, the, the I seem to get the, the sense that you don't think we get Butler back, but you would want him back the most. Well, what I do know is that if we don't offer Butler a max, somebody in the NBA they will. will. Yeah, somebody will. So it really depends on t- Jimmy Butler. Does he like Philadelphia? Uh, before game two in practice, someone asked him, "Are you happy?" And he said, "Yes." And I think that makes a world of a difference because he was not happy with Andrew Wiggins. He was not happy happy with Cat Carl Anthony Towns. And you could see it all over social media. There was so much passive aggressiveness in everything that he posted. Yeah. So I do believe he's happy. But if we don't offer the max, somebody 1 million percent will look at Jimmy Butler, say he's a max player. So that's the only thing that makes you a little bit nervous. But I do think he should be our number one priority out of those three guys to get back next season. Yeah. The last thing I'll say before you know we, we wrap it up um, I gotta tell you, I, I don't think I'd be happy with those two either in Minnesota. I mean, you know, the, the way the you know, it, it's pretty clear what those two are from 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 what I I've seen and and what I and what I I've heard from uh from from people. But um, you know, 
I, I trust Elton. I think he's a really a smart guy. He's done, a, he's done an unbelievable job. The best GM they've had in I don't even know how long. In his working um, season. His working absolutely. Season and people are going to say, well, where's Jimmy for the first three quarters? I don't care what he does in the first three quarters. I care about what he does in the last quarter because you need a closer in this league. And from what he's proven, he, he has a heart. He has heart. He's a leader. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to give him the max. I mean, I, I you know, and I, I don't know that 190 would be easy for me, but I could be talked into it. But then again, it's not my money. Um, you know, I, I I like Tobias a lot. I do. I've been really underwhelmed by him since that honeymoon phase kind of ended. But it would be interesting to see if Jimmy doesn't come back. If maybe Tobias is slated at the small forward spot more, maybe he's better off that way because it kind of feels like maybe he doesn't. He's unsure of his role with Jimmy being the primary ball guy on this team. And I completely agree with you about JJ. I mean, it's it's. I love JJ. He was he was unbelievable last year. He's been good this year, but. Is getting to the point where the offense does not make up for the lack of defense, right? And you talk, you spoke about Jimmy Butler. I still don't really even think that we saw much of his potential. I mean, in game one, he had a tremendous game, even though everyone else was terrible. But during the regular season, and this is why I said I wanted to see more of him at the point in the regular season, uh, because when Jimmy Butler was uh, in the regular season, T.J. McConnell had a lot of. Um, time as the backup point guard and I know Jimmy Butler is a swing man but when he's at the point he just feels so comfortable and we see that in the playoffs when uh, Ben Simmons is on the bench so I would like to see that going into next season if we are able to resign him and I do think that we would get much more out of him than just he's just our closer if he's able to play more minutes as a backup point then I really do think the, the narrative of him just being passive in the first three quarters would fade away. Absolutely. Crystal, where can people find you on social media? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Crystal Rich, and that's spelled K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-R-I-C-H. Absolutely. Crystal, you have the best postgame show of any team in, in the league. I, I think it's better than the than the usual postgame show with, with, <laughs> with I mean I love I love Jimmy Lynham, love all them, but watching you and Tyrone is the best. I love the interactive nature of it because that's very unique. Not a lot of te- not a lot of people do that. And the best part ever was 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 watching uh, Tyrone give that 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 react to that tweet about Jakar Sampson. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. That was great. I, I love that. I always love seeing Tyrone's speeches. Austin, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And we'll we'll see. Well, I'll be I'll be watching you after Game Three. Sounds good. Crystal Rich, everybody. Huge thank you to Crystal for for coming on uh, the episode today. Uh, she did a great. She's a great job. She has a great, great post game show with Tyrone Sixers Outsiders. You can tweet at them uh, at Crystal Rich and then at Ty Johnson News uh, during every game and talk and communicate with them about about the uh, the game that's going on using the hashtag Sixers Outsiders. The Sixers play game three tomorrow in Brooklyn, as we said. We'll be back with a post game t- show after Sixers Outsiders after the game. Hopefully, it's a win. Uh, but until then, do you want a shotgunning beer? you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram, at the King Cobra Co. 
That's the King Cobra code, Cobra12 with a K, for 10% discount on all products. Enter the code, trust the Cobra 10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2019. Again, huge thank you, huge thank you to Crystal Rich for coming on uh, today to talk, to talk about the series thus far and this and the road ahead. Uh, you can find her on on Twitter at Crystal Rich, um, and you can you can hear her and, and watch her on Sixers Outsiders after every game. Again. We'll be back with post-game coverage after Sixers Outsiders after Game 3. As always, thank you for listening to the Feed to Embiid.